0: Okay. I play rock and Hello, and welcome to Heavy Metal 101. This is the podcast where we explore the darkest and the dingiest corners of music history through the lens of one of its most ferocious and feared genres, heavy effin' metal. I'm Eric. I'm our supposed expert. I'm a university professor of music theory and history, mostly of the classical persuasion. I enjoy long walks on the beach. I enjoy horror movies and spending my vanishingly small amount of free time waxing philosophical about heavy metal, my first musical love. And I am here with my beloved compadre, John. John, you want to tell us about yourself?
1: They know my first name. That's already too much. (laughs) I am a classically trained conductor. And I don't know anything about heavy metal.
0: You see, John here is kind of our fall guy. John is a brilliant classical musician with uh, pretty much no experience except for that which he's obtained over the past two episodes in the trenches of heavy metal. John, we will have a big party for you when you've reached 10 cumulative hours of heavy metal listening. Does that sound like fun? I can't
1: wait. I assume the cake will be delightful.
0: Oh, yes. It will explode and fire will come out of it. To date on our podcast, we have been exploring some of the most foundational and influential British bands of heavy metal's first wave. We've looked at Black Sabbath, and we've looked at Judas Priest, and we're going to be shortly stepping backwards in time in coming episodes to examine what was happening simultaneously in the good old US of A. But before we do that, I wanted to wrap up a sort of trilogy of British 70s metal episodes by looking at the mighty Motorhead and discussing one of the first big crises of faith in hard rock and heavy metal, at least amongst the music intelligentsia, and that was the birth of punk rock. John, before we delve into punk rock, I have a really important question for you. I want you to think carefully before you answer this question. All right. My question for you is this. Who would win in a wrestling match? Lemmy or God?
1: I have to go with Lemmy.
0: Wrong, dickhead! Trick question. Lemmy is God. Um, this, this is actually a quote from a rather mediocre '90s movie called Airheads, but it's, it's a funny, it's a funny line about Lemmy, and we'll talk more about Lemmy soon. But before we delve into Lemmy and company, what, what can you, John, tell us about punk rock?
1: Yeah, I mean, given that I am a classical musician primarily known for their conducting of operas and musicals, it is clear that I have a vast knowledge on the genre of punk. No, I don't really know anything. I, I mean, the true extent of my knowledge on this subject is that if you categorize the Ramones as a punk band, then I'm a fan of the Ramones.
0: So John likes the Ramones. We'll talk about the Ramones in a second. So punk was basically something of an unruly sibling Of heavy metal there are a lot of similarities i like the ramones too i like the sex pistols too there are a few punk bands i like but like most metalheads in good standing i have a sort of a native distrust of punk it bugs me a little bit and as a musician first and listener of loud music second the the sort of lack of fluent musicianship in punk is is a bit of a turnoff for me but at the same time it's really important and it had a huge impact on all of music in the late 70s, and particularly, of course, on heavy metal because they're so closely related. A little bit about the birth of punk, just for context. Generally speaking, the founding musical document of punk is oft considered the Kingsman's rough, loose performance of the hit song Louie Louie in 1963. John, I'm guessing you are familiar with Louie Louie. Is
1: it, is it the Louie Louie that I'm thinking of when you say Louie Louie?
0: Yeah, it's worth noting the Kingsman's version is not an original. It was originally written by a duop songwriter by the name of Richard Berry, no relation to Chuck, in 1955. And there's a great original version of Richard Berry doing it. The 1963 version by the Kingsman, it's very it's very rough, it's very clangorous, it's music played by people who aren't very good at playing music joyfully. And because of that, it's really one of the original moments that's in in what's going to explode as proto-punk particularly the next year in 1964 with the kinks and songs like you really got me are you familiar with that one i am yeah so in the 1960s we're going to get music that is going to be certainly influential on heavy metal but it's also going to be influential on punk and some of the more ragtag. Uh, simple and ferocious numbers are going to really filter into what's going to eventually become punk rock in the mid to late 1970s specifically we can we can attribute the big bang moment of punk it is april 23rd 1976 and john you'll love this it is the self-titled debut album of the ramones hey look at that yeah see you are a genius of punk rock And if this was a podcast called Punk Rock 101, our first episode would have probably started off with a track called Blitzkrieg Bop. Do you know the Blitzkrieg Bop?
1: It's a good track.
0: Yeah, it's a good song. Except if we had played it, then I'd have that really irritating way that Joey Ramone sings the word bop stuck in my head for like an entire week, and I would be grumpy as a result.
1: As opposed to your presently sunny and delightful demeanor.
0: Thank you for acknowledging that. Yes, all the Motorhead I've listened to recently has put me in the best of spirits in a way that the ramones just don't quite manage but that's just me i like the ramones and i like the first album i think it's very solid it's as much a pop album as it is a punk album but that's part of the ramones charm i'll also point out for putting things into a heavy metal 101 reference point this is the same year that judas priest codified metal via sad wings of destiny so we have here the birth of punk simultaneous to the real thorough codification of metal we get with Judas Priest finally finding their legs with the Sad Wings of Destiny. Generally speaking, punk is the younger, leaner, and distinctly rougher edged sibling of heavy metal. It's still got riffs. It's still got power chords. It's still got distorted guitars. So it's got a lot of familial resemblance to heavy metal. But instead of a sort of musical facility and a tendency toward these epic and gothic and dark themes and theatrical productions, punk is sort of this quote-unquote authentic, everyman, loose, but angry and socially conscious genre. There's a lot of DIY, do-it-yourself attitude about punk. You have bands like the Sex Pistols. You know, Sid Vicious, the bass player of the Sex Pistols, uh, he didn't have a clue how to play the bass, and yet there he was up on stage Banging away because that was that was punk rock. Uh, it's also worth noting the very related genre of new wave uh, happens at around the same time. You know bands you like Bondi. um David Bowie, who, as you well know, is one of my musical heroes, is sort of at the forefront of that that movement. The album Station to Station is really a proto new wave album, one of my personal favorite albums. So there's a lot of good music that arises from this. But the honest truth is, of course, we're not here to talk about punk. We're here to talk about what happened to heavy metal as it faced basically extinction at the hands of this younger, hungrier genre, just as it was really beginning to be fully codified by bands like Judas Priest. So in the late 70s or really the mid 70s going into the late 70s, there was really this idea of this hard rock and heavy metal bands, particularly bands like Led Zeppelin and Kiss that are millionaires and they're out of touch and they're just not, they're not interesting to the average kid on the street in the same way that these fresh punk bands are. And in metal specifically, the crisis of faith can be found in our favorite sons, John, you remember Black Sabbath, of course. Black Sabbath, who we met through their debut album, released this incredible collection of albums after Black Sabbath. There's just this, this is just brilliant album after brilliant album through 1975's Sabotage really really good album. Anywho, the point being is that by 1976, as punk is beginning to come into full bloom, Black Sabbath were absolutely a drug-addled and past their prime mess as clearly audible on that year's Technical Ecstasy, which is their first like truly crappy album. They were just uh, lost and confused and out of touch, and this is kind of the state of things. Hard rock and heavy metal were in a precarious position in the late 70s, and it seemed like punk and new wave were just primed to sweep away these dinosaurs and start something new. John, what do you think our beloved heavy metal artists, who you love so much, could do in order to avoid becoming obsolete in this fresh, angry era of punk rock? Any thoughts?
1: Well, they could do the same thing that my profession has chosen to do for the last several hundred years, which is not give a fuck and just keep doing their same shit anyway.
0: <laughs> That's actually something that I think I think some of those artists very much chose to do. It's just put their heads in the sand, a la a, a given um, classical symphony orchestra, and just play the same old music the same old way. But the smartest, the best, the coolest bands followed that old adage, if you can't beat them, join them which finally brings us to the late but great motorhead a band that very much had one foot in heavy metal one foot in punk and in my estimation perhaps a third appendage dangling about in good old-fashioned rock and roll (laughs) so motorhead is a band that took the ferocity and velocity that's probably the most important thing here, of punk, and they married it to the general facility, the musical facility of heavy metal, and they kind of wrapped it up in the classic thematic trio of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. This just absolutely blew the doors off of what heavy metal and punk bands were doing, really at the very same time that both of those genres were just, just getting going. And let's, let's hear what I'm talking about. We're going to take a listen to the opening track, of the first of three absolutely classic Motorhead albums from 1979 and 1980. This is the title track for Motorhead's second album, 1979's Overkill. So John, cue us up some delicious, nutritious Motorhead. Hello there. If you are hearing this, then you are listening to a version of this podcast for which we do not have the rights to play this wonderful piece of music, Overkill by Motorhead. Bummer. However, if you take a look at the episode notes, you will find a link to an audio recording. Just click on it and go and check it out. Great! Now, I suggest that you pause the episode and take a listen prior to continuing on in order to afford you appropriate context for the following discussion. Or don't. The choice is yours. And now, back to our regularly scheduled podcast. John, please, what are your thoughts about this track and this band?
1: I didn't like this. Uh, Yeah, this is just not something that I would voluntarily choose to listen to. I did listen to the entire album, not just this one track. And I think that honestly made it worse for me.
0: So you're saying that you do not want me to make you a mixtape of Motorhead's greatest hits and give it to you for your daily commute or anything like that?
1: Well, you know, based on this album, I think if you were to give me a mixtape of Motorhead's greatest hits, I would just be listening to the same sort of aggressively loud and fast-paced thing for my 15-minute commute. And that just is tiring to me. And that's how I felt listening to not just this track, like the one track, it's fine. It's, you know, they're doing very impressive things. There's clearly a lot of ability there but then it goes on for pretty much the whole album with very little variance. And it just is like exhausting to listen to.
0: (laughs) Well, I think this is an excellent explanation of what is great about Motorhead and also sort of what I expected you might not love about Motorhead, which is that velocity, this fast and furious songwriting style which is not their only mode but definitely the mode for which they're most famous the most iconic hit ace of spades is very much in that same idiom this is what motorhead does sort of without apology that makes motorhead fans so very happy just fast furious powerful music that people who don't like motorhead it sort of drives them crazy because again it all sounds a little bit alike I adore the song Overkill. I love it passionately. I will be the first to admit that on its album version, it could be characterized as overlong. To my mind, it's got an almost Beethoven's Fifth-esque propensity for overlong kuda-ing.
1: I mean, it restarts, what, I think three times there towards the end?
0: Two times definitively. But yeah, it stops, it starts, it stops. It starts. And the reason they did this is because Motorhead were very fond of road testing their music at this point. They'd played it live quite a bit before they recorded it. And when they play this song live, Motorhead would sometimes make this like a 10 minute epic. And it was often the, the, the closer of the set. And they'd keep going with that big shredding guitar at the end. And it makes, I think, a lot of sense to keep the fans just getting more and more excited with each epic coda. But on the album, eh, I don't want to say it's clunky because I actually rather like it and makes me smile. But I could see where it might piss you off a little
1: bit. Piss me off is too strong a reaction because it just made me go, "Okay, when do we get to the something else?
0: Well, then we get to stay clean. And that's a fantastic song, right? All right, let's just talk about this song and why Motorhead is important and why this song is important and all that. And who, who are these people? So before we get to the big important thing, which is Lemmy, let's talk about the drums, because that's the first thing we heard in this song. I'm curious, do you have any thoughts or comments on the drumming of Phil, Filthy Animal, Taylor? And before you say anything, I should note that that's P-H-I-L-T-H-Y, Filthy.
1: I was about to say something positive, but now that you told me how he's chosen to spell filthy, I'm gonna say only negative things. I mean, it's very impressive. I don't know a lot about drums or drumming, but I can tell that to be able to do that takes a lot of technical facility. And the thing that struck me was to be able to play like this for an entire live concert. I mean, that would be exhausting. the, yeah, the, the endurance have, is amazing, yeah, right? Crazy endurance. The drumming is impressive. The drumming also over the course of an album is kind of monotonous, but it it is impressive that they can do that. Nevertheless,
0: I mean, talk about influential things, this particular opening drum beat. And I'd say this, yeah, this motorhead drumming in general from Filthy Animal is really the ancestor of so many future thrash metal, which we'll talk about eventually and death metal drumming styles. This is kind of the proto-blast Have you ever heard of a blast beat? No. Blast beats are definitely a heavy metal term. They really came out of the grindcore music of the very end of the 80s and early 90s, but this is kind of where it starts. It's essentially just a high-velocity, constantly pounding 16th-note value, that just keeps going and going and going and going on various parts of the drum kit. It is, as you mentioned, it is heroic in terms of the endurance and physical strength that it takes to do. It's not the most musically subtle style of drumming, but you got to be able to run like seven marathons to play a concert as a grindcore drummer as a result of the blast beat. And this really sets that template because as you probably noticed, you know, what he's doing is he's, he's playing double bass drums. He's got a bass drum with two pedals. So he's giving us that in the bass drum, pretty much the whole time, these four values to each beat, 16th notes in the double bass drum. It's almost like he's running a race the entire time he's playing. And that's what gives this song in so much of Motorhead, it's intense velocity. It's just, you have a pretty moderate tempo here. The BPM or beats per minute of this song, it's only 117. You're a classical dork, what tempo would you call 117?
1: I mean, that's just shy of March tempo.
0: Yeah, so it's just south of like a straight ahead allegro, we might call it an allegretto, it's kind of borderline, but because of the fact that the constant rhythm in the guitar riff, in the bass drum, in the bass part, is often this oscillating 16th note figure, it gives this music so much energy It's kind of exhausting in the best possible way. And this drum part is really the underpinning to that. And it's worth noting that the way this song was written is Filthy Animal was practicing. He was practicing his double bass technique in the rehearsal studio. And the other two musicians of Motorhead came in and they were like, that's cool. Let's write a song based on that. And so they actually based this song on the opening drum beat, which is kind of an unusual way to write a song. Moving on from the drumming facility, of filthy animal, the singer is Lemmy, Lemmy Kilmister. What what do you think about Lemmy's voice? Not a fan. I did not think you would be a fan of Lemmy's voice, which is a shame because gosh, is that ever an iconic vocal style? But it's grating. It could be it could be perceived that way. I might say rough, raw, barking. Uh. again
1: as, as someone who comes primarily out of an operatic world it sounded painful to me it sounded like they were doing unhealthy things with their mouth
0: i could see that this vocal style is quite removed from the virtuosity we talked about last time with Rob Halford. Really a completely different approach. But I do want to point out that since Motorhead did have one foot in the punk rock world and a lot of these fast, fast music that we're talking about is very punk, Lemmy does not sing like a punk rock singer. If We think of someone like Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols, you know, that sort of nasal sneering quality of punk music. This is still, a, it's very different than that as well. So the person who is doing this singing is the late, great, iconic vocalist, bassist, and principal songwriter for Motorhead, Ian Lemmy Kilmister. You're not familiar with this gentleman, this, this iconic superhuman figure? Oh. It's sad, John. It's very sad. But we're going to change all that because Lemmy, as we've already established, is God. And we love God. We're all God-positive here, at least when we're talking about Lemmy. Lemmy is the the beating heart of Motorhead. He's the only constant member throughout the entire history of the band. The classic lineup of Motorhead from this album is what we're talking about. But Motorhead continued until Lemmy's passing in 2015. So the only constant member was the great Lemmy Kilmister. And he is really one of the great figures in heavy metal music. And his voice which may not be beautiful, although it can be, it actually sometimes can be, is definitely an iconic part of what makes Motorhead great, as is his bass playing and songwriting. It's kind of what gives Motorhead its quality, its everything. It all comes out of the great Lemmy Kilmister, who was, pretty well known before he founded Motorhead. So he started Motorhead in 1975 after he was kicked out of the English psychedelic rock band, Hawkwind. They were Lemmy's first band. They were a psychedelic English band. They kind of sound, they're kind of Pink Floyd-esque. They're, in, they're, they're a little rougher, but in their, they're kind of in that idiom. Lemmy sung, besides playing bass, Lemmy also sung back up much more mellifluously for them. He was kicked out of that band for trying to import drugs into Canada. And so he got busted and they kicked him out of Hawkwind. And he said, well, I'm going to form Motorhead. And that's what he did, John. That's what he did. And we're thankful for it. So I am going to talk briefly about the lyrics of this song before we talk about Motorhead more generally. Do you have the lyrics in front of you? No. Okay. So I'm going to read you the lyrics. I'll do one of our famous recitations of the lyrics. And I want you to tell me what this song's about. Just the first two verses only way to feel the noise is when it's good and loud. So good, I can't believe it, screaming with the crowd. Don't sweat it, we'll get back to you. Don't sweat it, we'll get it back to you. Overkill, overkill, overkill. On your feet, you'll feel the beat, it goes straight to your spine. Shake your head, you must be dead if it don't make you fly. Don't sweat it, we'll get it back to you. Don't sweat it, we'll get it back to you. Overkill overkill, overkill. What do, what do you yeah. think? What's the, Is this about Jack the Ripper in Victorian England or is this about evil figures looming over the bed?
1: No, this seems to be about a concert experience.
0: Exactly. This gives us a different but very common lyrical paradigm in heavy metal, which is self-grandiosity, metal songs about the experience of listening to heavy metal. We see that heavy metal does not have to be macabre. It doesn't even have to be antisocial, although it's often one or both of those things. So we, we have the lyrical paradigm. We've talked a bit about the drumming. We've at least alluded to Lemmy and Filthy Animal, two of the members of Motorhead. We've got one more character from the classic lineup to meet. We've only got three people in this band. Motorhead or what we sometimes call a power trio. John, are you familiar with this term?
1: Well, I mean, I've never heard someone explicitly say power trio, but it's pretty self-defining.
0: Yeah, it's basically the minimum amount of people you need to form the classic rock and roll hard rock, or heavy metal lineup we discussed last time, which is what instrument?
1: Uh, Guitar, bass, and drums.
0: Right. We need those, and somebody's got to do the singing. But as long as one of those people can multitask, then we've got ourselves a power trio. The last member of Motorhead is the guitarist, quote-unquote, Fast. So his nickname is Fast, you see. We've got Filthy Animal, we've got Lemmy, we've got Fast, Eddie Clark. Eddie Clark really, I think, gives us the most clearly heavy metal rather than punk quality in Motorhead's classic sound. You may not have liked those multiple codas, those tags at the end of the song where they started the drum beat again and sort of instrumentally shredded, but it was all about you know it was all about the shredding virtuosic guitar soul. That is very much not something we associate with punk rock. Punk rock is not big into the guitar solos. One of the distinctions between metal and punk is we like to show off our instrumental facility in metal, we like to pretend we have none, or we actually have none in (laughs) punk. Fast Eddie Clark most assuredly has some facilities. So, we've met our three members, Filthy Animal, Lemmy, and Fast Eddie Clark. Let's talk about why Motorhead kicks so much ass and matters so much in the Heavy Metal 101 scheme of things. First off, as I've alluded to, Motorhead is a perfect synthesis of metal and punk. And as such, pointed the way forward in a situation where heavy metal and hard rock were starting to seem a little outmoded and the great bands of the genres were starting to seem very out of touch. They point the way forward for the succeeding generation of no bands in the early 80s who were going to so refresh the genre for that shiny new decade. Now, John, I want you to remember that term, no It's going to come back in a few episodes. Okay? Okay. Good. Second, by incorporating the best and most ferocious parts of punk into a more musically competent context, Motorhead are telegraphing Heavy Metal's next act even after no This act would be what I would call survival through fragmentation. The core of Heavy Metal is about to start fracturing into at very least three primary subgenres. I'm not going to talk about those in this episode. That'll be a future discussion, but I will say that Motorhead are really the founding fathers of what we sometimes call thrash and or speed metal from the 1980s on. So more on that in future episodes. Because of that, Motorhead are really very, very integral to establishing the future of heavy metal after the 1970s, which is really metal's primary decade of dominance, the 1980s. So before we finish, let's talk a few fun facts about who these Motorhead guys are, and also the album Overkill. I've already mentioned that Motorhead were founded after Lemmy was kicked out of the psychedelic rock band Hawkwind. It's worth noting they were founded in 1975 they actually recorded what was supposed to be their first album in 1976, the same year that punk was born and the Ramones recorded their self-titled debut. However, it was actually turned down by their label. who didn't think it had any commercial potential. So it wasn't until 1979 that the album titled On Parole, what was originally intended to be Motorhead's first album was released. So before that, we have Motorhead's self-titled debut in 1977, and then we get the album that we've discussed a wee bit, and the song we've discussed a wee bit that opens it, Overkill from 1979. John, I know you're, you're a huge Motorhead fan, so I will tell you that if, you, if you're interested, there are three albums of Motorhead that were released in 1979. So you could get all of those. You could get Overkill, you could get Bomber, another fantastic album, and you could get what was supposed to be their debut on parole. So do you want those as Christmas presents? No. Oh, maybe I'll get you some. Okay. Oh, you want a really fun fact?
1: I love a fun fact.
0: Yeah, this is a fun fact. Lemmy and Sid Vicious were actually roommates at one time. And Sid Vicious got the gig with the Sex Pistols and went to brag to Lemmy about it. And Lemmy was like, Sid, that's this cool, but you, you don't actually know how to play bass. And So Lemmy tried to teach Sid Vicious, he tried to teach Sid Vicious how to play bass, and he just gave up because he was so damn incompetent. So
1: That is is truly a remarkable thing, because as a former professional bassist, it takes very little to be able to play our instrument in a functional way.
0: (laughs) Sid Vicious was an iconic figure. I'm not sure if he was a talented figure. I think he was just in the right place at the right time is, is how that worked in terms of his iconic status. But yeah, Lemmy gave it a good old college try. And Lemmy is a very, very talented musician. You may not like Motorhead, but as a songwriter, Lemmy is very gifted. Uh, and he actually wrote a number of hits. He wrote, he wrote a number of hits for Ozzy Osbourne, of all people, in the 1990s. If you know the song Mama, I'm Coming Home, you're familiar with that power ballad from the 1990s from the No More Tears album. I think so probably recognize it if you heard it well anyway Lem- lemmy was a ghost songwriter for a couple of the songs on what probably ozzy osbourne's most famous solo album certainly it's up there no more tears but anyway so i've mentioned the classic motorhead lineup the power trio of lemmy on bass and vocals fast eddie on guitar and filthy animal on the drums that consists really of not including On Parole, the album that never was released until 1979, that includes really the first five albums, which are the self-titled release in 1977, Overkill and Bomber with the iconic Ace of Spades, and then finally the album Iron Fist, all of which are excellent albums, well worth checking out, really, really wonderful thrashing, proto-thrashing, at least, punk-influenced heavy metal music. I'll say with great sadness and absolutely no fun at all, none of the classic lineup of Motorhead are still alive. They were all all deceased by 2018. And I, I think I already mentioned, Lemmy passed away in 2015 from both cardiac issues and cancer, which was a really heartbreaking thing for all of us heavy metal folk because he's just a huge icon In the heavy metal scene, known as one of the great sort of nice guys in heavy metal, and hugely influential as a leader of Motorhead and just as a songwriter and talented musician and all that stuff. So, Motorhead is generally more of a band's band rather than like a huge hit band. They were sort of known as a perpetual opening band rather than big headliners or anything. Overkill, the album, charted in the UK, peaking at number 24. It did not chart originally in the US, but. The president of the American Motorhead Fan Club was a fellow by the name of Lars Ulrich. Do you have any idea who Lars Ulrich is?
1: Yeah, I do know that name.
0: He would go on to be the drummer of a little known band called Metallica. So we see here, you know, the direct connection. Lars was a gigantic Motorhead fan and really a direct connection. I don't know what Metallica would have sounded like without Motorhead, but it wouldn't have been pretty. So very, very important influence on arguably the most important metal band of all time. Here's what I will say about Motorhead. Without that, punk may well have managed to make metal more or less obsolete. The genre's next explosion, courtesy of the Nawabum bands to be discussed later, would have been something entirely different if it had even happened at all. And Metallica would have probably played a whole lot slower and with a whole lot less ferocity And I don't think that would have been the Metallica that we know and love. I will assert here that Motorhead was one of the most important influential bands in the early days of heavy metal. John, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, Have I convinced you of at least some of the virtues of this scruffy collection of drug-addled and drunken hooligans? Look, I want to be
1: very clear. I'm not trying to take anything away from them. Clearly all very talented musicians, clearly capable of doing things I could not even fathom. Apparently, I have to take your word for this, very influential on the future of this genre. And I don't want to yuck anybody's yum. This is not something I would voluntarily choose to listen to even after hearing you talk about them. Still wouldn't really choose to listen to them, but they do what they do very well. And if you like that, congratulations. You have found some joy and I wish you well in that joy.
0: I think that's very noble. Much joy to all of us. You want to just remind people where they can reach us?
1: Yeah, if you want to reach us and tell me everything that you hate about the way that I think about the genre of music that you love, you can find us and contact us at heavymetal101podcast at gmail.com or on Facebook at heavy metal 101 All
0: right, so we will catch you next time for another drug-addled and drunken episode of Heavy Metal 101.